0: the December 17, 2020 edition of Digging Out. I'm Claudia Shambaugh, your host. It's a hopeful show offering a way past November 3rd, December 3rd, and now on to January 3rd, 2021. Each interview considers the delicate national exercise we're collectively undertaking. Today, we turn our attention to electoral debris Cubic tons of it. My guest is Charles Douglas III, responsible for vision, brand, and community at Common Power. I spoke with David Domke on my other show, Ask a Leader, last week. This show, Charles will take up the Clear the Debris themes with his work with Common Power. It's a very auspicious time. Charles launches projects and builds teams developing a generation of leaders, an intermittent volunteer considering teacher pay, student scholarships, the Haiti earthquake, the Obama election, the hurricane in Houston. After a 14 year career at Starbucks that began in stores and ended in marketing and e-commerce, Charles joins Common Purpose leading elements of business brand and big ideas as Common Power, the organization, continues to grow. Common Purpose was its earlier title. Charles started as a volunteer with Common Power on day one of its 2018 launch and continues to prioritize around what prize he's eyed to this day, including more young people of color and building common power as an enduring organization that constantly contributes to lasting progressive change in this country. He comes to us today from his home in Seattle, and we are catching him mid-organizing with the high-stakes Georgia Senate runoff elections right on January 5th, right after New Year's. Welcome to Digging Out, Charles Douglas III.
1: Hey, Claudia. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much. And I know there are no busier people on the planet than those that are hurting grassroots activists ahead of such a consequential uh, elections, those two Georgia-Santarados. So I'm really glad that you're making time. Charles, I'd like first for you to tell us about what you've built at Common Power. Tell us where your sort of geographic and demographic sort of is and where the work you're doing persuading young activists to become lifelong activists.
1: Yeah, so we are the Common Power is a Seattle-based organization and started off in 2018 as all volunteers. It was just a bunch of folks that wanted to make change in this country and knew that we couldn't do a lot of it nationally here in Seattle. We had to go to the places that we saw flip red or blue on the map on election day for years. Seattle is uh, is one of those, those cities that has an overabundance of progressive energy and resources, which is why a lot of presidential candidates make their way up here for fundraising purposes and don't usually talk to voters. They just come to raise money. And in 2018, that community was ready to put their feet on the ground and, and get to work. So we started off flying to these swing states and knocking on doors alongside other volunteers and other organizations in places like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Michigan. In 2018, I you know, came in the door just brand new and left on that, that first day as a part of leadership. Ended up taking three trips to Wisconsin, the swingiest of swing states for cycles and cycles, along with 60 other people that flew to that one state. Um, We went to 12 states in that year and continued that work on into 2020. Every single year, we do work alongside partner organizations and swing states. And we we do it with a volunteer base of hundreds of people. Um, We've got thousands that are part of our community. All of our donors are individuals as well. And it's just a really concerned but focused community that understands that to change this country, we've got to change the destinies of some of these states alongside partner organizations. Again, I'll say that over and over and over again. It's a part of our philosophy, but one of the things that, and I, and I realize this book ends David Donkey's podcast. I got to call that was, that it
0: by design.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. This is, this is a kind of a part two. When I met David Donkey on March 3rd, 2018, I introduced myself and I, told him I had two thoughts. And one of them was, I've got ideas for how to get more people who look like me in this door. I am in my late thirties. I'm a millennial. I am black and Filipino and I'm from Tacoma, which is a working class city or it was working class city, South of Seattle.
0: It was, Um, it's,
1: well, now it's like, Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's it's become um, because of the, the light rail, it's become like the suburb of Seattle almost. A lot of folks move moving down there because of better home prices. But that's a you know, that's a that's a whole other thing that we gotta that's other
0: debris aspect, yes. <laughs> that
1: that was missing. When I walked in on day one, March third, twenty eighteen, that was missing in the room. I walk in and it's a bunch of folks that are older and white. Seattle's a very white city and they were pretty well off. And I grew up you know, middle-class, uh, actually lower than middle-class in the, the beginning of my life. My mom was a single mom for, for a while before my stepdad came into my life. And so I've got this perspective and I realized, hey, you know, if this is the America that you want to create, you're going to need to have more folks who look like me in this room. So that, that was one thing. The other thing was we, we are gung-ho about, at the time, 2018. And even now, this myopic view of 2020 is now falling away with the electoral college votes that just happened, and now the question is, what's next? And we cannot keep recreating this wheel every four years or every two years. We've got to stand up a foundational effort that is active every single year in all of these places that we say matter to us electorally. So, those are the two things that I brought to David when I first when I met him, and those are the things that I. I lead in this organization the most, the prioritization and amplification of next generation leaders and the kind of evergreen nature of our organization and how often we engage. We don't just show up when everyone else in the media shows up. We work alongside organizations when we're the only partner organization that's reaching out to them. And we are proud of that.
0: So it's mainly electoral politics that Common Power is focusing on. Yes. And I mean, I know that's a big bite off And I, I, I'm going to move up a question I had to bring up later, but move it up now because you were talking about the electoral college results of this mm-hmm. week. We're taping this incidentally on December 15th in case there is some drama that opens up between (laughs) tape time and the broadcast. So, and which is that that's what happens in the pandemic with uh, remote and prior kinds of productions. So Mm -hmm. the national popular vote is that of interest to common power. It's where I think we've got, how many is up to about 17 states that have approved it? So or state legislatures, can you tell us whether common power is going to be taken up the national popular vote?
1: Well, I think we care about it obviously. I, the thing that we realize though is that in order to move the needle on the national vote, you've got to start local. You have to start at the state level, at the district level. Control of state legislatures means control of the maps that are a large part of why Republicans have kept artificial control of some of these states. And that's the that's the most clear and present danger to democracy functioning the way it's supposed to in this country. So that's that's our top priority. After that happens, the will of the people will, it'll occur. <laughs> Voting will happen as it should be, and people's most common power, the power of their vote, will be recognized nationally.
0: So I understand the connection. The local state outcomes would be the driver of ratifying some kind of national popular yes. vote eventually. It sort of yes. sets that in motion. It's a necessary for a sufficient outcome te- uh, testing. So for those of you who've just joined in, I wanna introduce my guest is Charles Douglas III. He's the vision brand community guy at Common Power, engaging activists to engage voters. So let's talk about what makes Common Power so effective. I think you've talked a little bit about your secret sauce with, that capturing that sort of local grassroots energy post 2018. So is that, what are some other, I mean, you've got lots of secret weapons in the really interesting, really geeky political science activists in, on your board and in your, your farm team. So what are some other elements that make you so effective at common power?
1: The most powerful thing at common power is the community. And I think a a lot of other organizations would say something like this, but this is the thing that we've maintained from 2018 and only grown into 2020 people come to CP for the work, but they stay for the people and the capacity that we have, our ability to say that we can in Georgia make 50,000 phone calls in two weeks our ability to say we can do 80,000 texts to say that we can do 30,000 postcards and say that to the Asaf campaign and the Warnock campaign, our ability to, to tell them that comes from our capacity, the numbers of people that we have that are willing to do this work and do it day in and day out and do it after continue to do it after the biggest election of our lifetimes, possibly. So so what, what is that secret sauce? It's that we build community and we take care of it. And that is the priority, our mojo. We've got, we've got these three M's that form yes, yes, the please. heart of who we are. And it's our, it's our mindset, our mojo, and then we mobilize. The mindset piece is something that everybody comes with. We want to we fix democracy. We want, want things to be better. But a part of that that is so important is that it cannot just be an academic study of what it takes to do better everyone has got to get involved we believe we have a responsibility to make this country better by taking action all of us even our donors the mojo piece is the community and teams but it's also the prioritization of these next generation leaders again we cannot just do this work with the people that are the most experienced are the ones who, who show up the most easily We've got to go after black and brown communities. We've got to go after young folks and and figure out how to get them involved. That takes packaging our message a certain way. It takes meeting them where they already are and recruiting them in a way that's effective to them. And it means being really serious about putting people at the center and putting the people working together as a priority. And then the, the mobilized piece is really similar to every other organization, except for this one part. And that's that when we say we partner with a local organization, like a New Georgia Project, we don't come in and say, hey, New Georgia Project. Hey, Nse, who, who sees the CEO at New Georgia Project. Hey, and say, we've got a plan for Georgia. We've been analyzing the data, and we think that you should be talking to these people. These are the Democrats that we, we believe are, are the ones that need to vote. And so we're going to tell you what that is. We don't do that. We don't have our own data. We don't have our own plan. We don't have a better way of doing the work in your state than you have. We come with people and that is it. We identify organizations and then we humble ourselves and we say, listen, a Seattle, (laughs) a Seattle Democrat is much different than a Georgia Democrat. We understand that. And we're just going to come and work for you. We're going to be bodies for you. We're going to be boots on the ground for you. And that actually is how we build and then maintain relationships over the years.
0: Well, that is a good sauce. And we'll go into great detail about the Georgia Senate runoffs in a moment. But I want to say I personally witnessed in one of the workshops, the Common Power Workshop, about maybe three weeks ago, where Mm -hmm. one of the activists said, they're closing with a live conversation with the voter. I don't remember what state the voter was in, but this was leading up to the general election this year. And she said to that voter, thanks for being so nice to me on this call. You didn't have to. And everybody really collect rack at that, like that was a powerful way. And so that's, that's sort of the interactive community feeling. This is what the activists can sort of contribute to the other activists at, in the arsenal of engaging voters where they are. And that that kind of finesse was, I think, really interesting and and powerful. Common yeah, power. It's,
1: it's a, you, you humanize people. When, whenever you humanize people in any process like this that's complex um, and you've got volumes of, of human beings there, it makes all the difference. It really, really does. And that is something that is, is you can't just teach that when you're training someone to phone bank, you have to actually treat people that way. And the regular operation of your organization, it it is not artificial. This is a part of our culture at CP.
0: So I don't know if you had a few things to say about lessons learned with the activism that came to some of the states. I mean, and I raised it with David a little bit, but you may have some additional data to offer about how it was not an overwhelming of like Maine voters and other states that the intent for, of the act was, was to flip the U.S. Senate in Maine and other states, but it backfired on them. So I don't know if you have any additional things to say. You may have already addressed it as talking to the organizations already based in those states and taking directions from them instead of clobbering the voters directly with the out-of-state money and messaging.
1: Yeah, I really, you know, building off of what David said, you know, I think he said that she should have, you know, not taken the money maybe. I think that's a that's, that's an overly simplistic view of, like, kind of her choices. I, I don't know if she could afford to not take the national money. Right. I, I'll say this, though. The way that folks are winning in Georgia is by following the blueprint that Georgia organizations built. Let's and talk think, about those.
0: This is the. Well, moment. but hold gonna, on.
1: I, I want to. So, okay. so you're talking about Maine. What I'll say Correct. about Maine is that the way to win in Maine, and this goes with every other state, the answer to getting out the vote and activating people is already held by the organizations that have been doing work on the ground in that state. The candidate in Maine should have talked to the organizations in Maine that are reaching people in Maine, not just voters, but just but people in Maine and asked, how are you doing it? Let me follow your lead and figure out how to, what's the main way of interacting with Mainers about things that are important to them and not take the national blueprint or not take uh, something that works in a different state. Every solution to reaching each state's voters should be unique to that state. And there are people that are doing that work every single day already in all 50 states. The answer is there. We just got to go ask the right people.
0: So, Charles, I'm pretty curious, has anybody in common power or had, uh, is it a public conversation that folks have had with Audie Barkin, who uh, spearheaded be a hero that was probably the, the first fundraiser for opposing the incumbent Senator Susan Collins. Has anybody, you know, talked to Audie Barkin about you guys had so much momentum, you had so much figure and so much money. How about rethinking how you did this in the future with all that?
1: No one's talked to Adi. I think that the, the organizations that we're most in touch with, again, are the ones that are out there talking to people the most. So the, the Immigrant Welcome Center in Maine, the League of Women Voters in Maine, those are the strongest relationships. And those are the people that Adi that probably, you know, when Adi does fundraising, they probably ship it off to these organizations that are doing this work on the ground already. In the same way that Stacey Abrams is not standing up her own, you know, set of brand new volunteers. She's, she's actually funneling dollars that come to fair fight into all these other organizations that are already doing work. I think that the one thing that we have figured out and the thing that we're starting to see organizations across the country figure out is that just because you care about this country and you think that we should reach out to voters does not mean that you should create a new wheel there are already people that are doing the work and you should just plug into their work our model is that we gather resources and volunteers together and then we plug them into existing things all over the country that's what other new organizations should do they should plug in and augment existing efforts
0: so one thing um, you're going to be talking during the time that this program will be broadcast on thursday you're going to be talking with your colleague aj and take a look at the historical side of georgia's voter suppression from multiple points in history could you give us just sort of a little thumbnail of what you're going to be talking about at this organizational meeting charles
1: (laughs) yeah so so aj she's one of our next generation leaders Um, Ah. she's somebody who sees herself as, um, she's a, so she's a a, a Kenyan immigrant. She sees herself as an amateur historian. This is how she talks about herself and knows a ton about black history. And one of the things that is very clear and made more clear to, to everybody in this country is that the roots of voter suppression tie very, very tightly to slavery and and reconstruction and the The want of, especially folks in the South to disenfranchise black voters. And that was the beginning. That was the beginning. All, all of these formerly enslaved folks in the South were freed all at once, not every single one, but you know, generally around the same time, and they were given the right to vote out of the gate. And in a lot of ways, in a lot of places, they outnumbered white folks. And that was really scary to white people in power. And that's why, Immediately after slavery, there were so many Black politicians, local politicians. There were folks that were, that were senators, uh, members of the House. It was like this renaissance. And then there was the backlash. And the backlash was, how do we put folks in jail and take away the right to vote? How do we disenfranchise them in all kinds of creative ways? It started off with laws, and then it, it graduated up into just outright violence. And that's the legacy of voting in a lot of these Southern states. That's why some of the laws exist the way they do. That's why this primary that's coming up, this runoff that's coming up in January. That's why that exists. It's it's so that the black population could not have power, and that's that's what we're seeing here. That's what we're going to be talking about is the the, the roots of that going all the way back to slavery, and then bringing it kind of close to the present. Um, and wow. that's a, it, it'll be a ton of fun. Her and I have a great relationship. She is a little sister to me, and we kind of bring folks along on this ride. It is very informal. We're going to feature Stacy Abrams as kind of the through line on this, somebody who understands Georgia really well. Um, and we're just going to have fun with the community.
0: So if somebody's listening to this broadcast, 5 to 6, that's, uh, that's Pacific time. Is the 5 yeah. to 6 East Coast time, or it's, it's Seattle time too?
1: Seattle time. Yep. So, okay. Yep. So
0: it's going to compete with this broadcast. So the natural thing for listeners, they're going to not want to miss this discussion. So I, they can go to the commonpower.org website and the forward slash Georgia Senate might be a part of the link, or there could be other links on common power to pull up that recorded mm-hmm. um, interaction later. Correct.
1: Yeah. We'll have it on our YouTube.
0: OK, yeah. then so people can have it all is what we're looking for. That's right. So, But one thing that I hasten to sort of shudder at when you're setting up, the, there is a terrible parallel I'm seeing. And the parallel is, I think, remains with us when you're talking about the office, the Black office holders post-Civil War. How about the kind of unfolding of events post-White House Black office holder and the violence that has followed? we're seeing that parallel is actually pretty tight right now.
1: Yeah. And I think we're just, we're seeing the beginning of it. You're talking about the violence that we're, we're starting to see here in DC from right. the Trump followers. The proud brewing up
0: since the Trump administration came in and yeah. that, you know, that the backlash with, President Barack Obama and sort of it takes a little while for that backlash to sort of really settle in. And so I'm just seeing a parallel with what the post-Civil War era was like and where we are right now in the end of 2020.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it's coming and it's going to it's going to come sooner than it did for Obama. I I know right after Obama was elected, they started to mobilize the Tea Party folks. I I think that the biggest difference now with that, not that it won't happen and not that we um, won't be impacted by this, this negative backlash. I think the biggest difference now is that we have a, a populace that is more aware of this, this not so organic ebb and flow. Like this is a, the backlash is engineered and, and we are more aware of the fact that it is, of uh, the fact that it's coming we're more aware of who is at the steering wheel on this. And we are we're prepared to to kind of defend against it. And not with, you know, more violence. We are at watch. Whereas before, I think a lot of Democrats were surprised by the Tea Party, by the tactics at the time. And there's really no bar now. There's 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 no there's no low bar. We've gone past the that
0: bar's sometimes. been thrown out
1: it's been thrown out completely. And so now that we know that though, now that we're aware and it's not just the people in power on our side, but it's the some you know some percentage of average voters are aware as well. I don't think they can run the same game on us that they did before.
0: So let's speak fully here to the whole effort that common powers engaged in with the Georgia 2 Senate races and the runoff on January 5th. The voting has begun this week. It started December 14th. And so talk about then what Common Power is doing with Fair Fight, Poder, Latinx, Neighbors Project, and all the others. What's happening now? And call out every single organization for any listener who is already working with any of those organizations.
1: So, yeah, we started in November, November 3rd, I think, or November 5th. November 3rd was (laughs) was the election day. Very soon after, we started working on this Georgia runoff, and we are working right alongside the Georgia Dems, right alongside the Ossoff campaign, and then to the extent that we can, the Warnock campaign. The first thing that we put together were daily phone banks, and I mean daily, and it's every single day outside of of holidays and, and we the only can see that on
0: your website on i'm sorry on common yeah. power's website there's a calendar and it's blocked all the way through with all of these messages conversations. oh yeah
1: multiple times a day the only reason why we're not calling on holidays is because we've been told that that's not a good time to call people <laughs> on thanksgiving and christmas otherwise we would have volunteers to be willing to call in those days as well Um, But we're working in lockstep with with them. All of our the folks that we're calling, the things that we're saying on the phone, the training and call tools. Those all come from the Georgia Dems. And so we are a part of their capacity when they report their numbers out. We are a portion of those. And that's calling, texting and postcarding that we're doing right alongside them. The ways that folks can get involved is to hop into a phone bank session. You can just go directly to the calendar, the GA Senate tab on commonpower.org. And you can just jump in and say, hey, I want to get started. And there will be somebody there to train you up. If you already have experience, I'll direct you to how to get started right away. And then there's a community of people that are going to be there that you can call alongside. And we don't just get people in a zoom and and talk at you we do community stuff there's kind of a post calling session that happens as well and folks share stories about how it went they get some tips and uh, there's always a a next generation leader that's there helping to run it uh, learning from some of the other leaders that are there it is really cp in a nutshell that you that you get to see through this effort
0: yeah and what else
1: yeah, so we've got intro workshops that are happening every Tuesday. We're, co- we're recording this today, and there's an intro workshop happening here in 30 minutes <laughs> to get people onboarded to this, just in case people want some more information. And if there's people that don't want to interact with voters, our postcard effort is really, really robust. We are at the cusp of sending out 30,000 postcards to people in swing districts here in Georgia. That is a third of John Ossoff's entire out of state organizational effort around postcards. So we are, we're making a big, big stamp here in Georgia.
0: So, along with those efforts, though, are you going to, anybody from Common Power, going to be in person, boots on the ground in Georgia? Because we know the Americans for Progress, the the Koch brothers entity, we know that they've been very present all over the country leading up to the general election 2020 so that person-to-person contact was pretty helpful for some candidates so what can you do with common power and with those organizations with whom you're coalescing to deal with the pandemic challenge of that person-to-person significant contact
1: yeah that that's something like knocking on doors is our bread and butter that's that's what we did in 2018 that's what we did in 2019. We, did, we even did it a little bit in 2020 before the pandemic shut everything down. And we really want to do it in Georgia. And <laughs> COVID is off the rails right now in Southern states, especially and in Georgia. It's through the roof. And there is some sensitivity to folks coming from out of state just for that reason, just for that reason we follow the lead of the partner organization. So at the end of the day, it really is about if they want us there or not. Are they asking for you? Not yet. Not Not yet. yet. They are aware of our capacity. They understand that if we needed to, we could send a, a few dozen people down there to knock on doors. And they're, they're telling us to hold off for now. One of the things that is true about Georgia, you mentioned Maine earlier is that this outside influence thing? It is a factor. It's a factor, and if our partner organization, the one we're talking to right now, is New Georgia Project, Stacy Abrams, um, one of the organizations she started a while back, they are—they have come under fire from the right, saying that they're they're getting outside help. They've been accused of shipping in voters, which is outrageous. But any sensitivity to external help in person. Help would, would would be really conspicuous, so I could see them. I could see that being one reason why they don't want us there in person. But we're 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 waiting on the call. You know, if they if they change their mind, we're ready to go.
0: So though that carpetbagger, and you didn't use a term, but that's the term I'm sure they're using in state. There is there. I'm seeing on the Twitter sphere that celebrities are they call it fun fun banking. Is sure. that? Is that helpful or is that kind of muddling a little bit what Common Power is trying to do to be where people are?
1: You know, <laughs> I have a personal opinion about this. I think that Please. that celebrities need to, need to get out of, of politics if the, all they're doing is just showing their face. If they've got a perspective and if they're willing to put some of their dollars towards something, then I want to hear from them. If you're going to come into this space and you're going to be like LeBron James, where you form an organization where you commit millions of dollars towards this kind of thing, or Michelle Obama, then yeah, then I'm, I'm willing to hear from you. But if you're just there to kind of play some music or something like that, that I, I think that may do more harm than good for the middle of the road voter in Georgia. That said, that said, there was recent news that uh, there's kind of there's record turnout and early voting from young first time voters. Oh, that, that Did not vote in the general election. There's a significant number that have voted now that have early voted. And some of that is just basic hype at the young age of seeing your favorite celebrity post on their social media profile that they're with Stacey Abrams or with New Georgia Project doing something cool. And that does resonate for some slice of the voter population in Georgia.
0: So how is Common Power, along with the organizations, or what, what Stacey Abrams Group saying to you about how to address that structural issue? And, and David talked a little bit about this on Ask a Leader, but I want to know in as much detail as you can offer us, is how you deal with that structural advantage. A conservative voter is always 100% more reliable in this, is, this runoff is considered like a special election. It's not the typical you know, general election calendar moment. So how are you going to deal with overriding that structural advantage of conservative voters' liability in a special election?
1: Yeah, I think that one thing that folks on the left need to do is not try to replicate what, what they on the right do. They have an entirely different voter base. They really kind of fall in line, and they don't... <laughs> they, they don't do a lot of independent thinking. And, and it's, it's a coalition. Our coalition is one that's built up of, of a diverse range of viewpoints and perspectives. And that's what that's what we like. That's the America that we want to build. But what it means is that you've got to come up with multiple solutions, depending on who you're going to reach out to. Reaching out to Asian Indian populations that live in the suburbs, that work in tech in southern states is very, very different than reaching out to black people who live in rural Georgia. It, it's just different. It's just different. And so you've got, you've got to solve for each of them and you've got to take that care to do that. And so it's, it's, it's more difficult and it takes more dollars, it takes more creativity. And so what, <laughs> That's the, this is what we want. What we want is to include more people. What we want is we want more difference and we want more diverse perspectives in our coalition. And that means it's more difficult. I come from a business background. And I tell you, if we went after one target market versus 12 target markets, the cost would be different. We'd have to put banners up in different languages. There are certain cultural references that we would have to obey and and get consultants on. It is more expensive to go after different kinds of people. And we just have to be okay with that and enter into these campaigns with that full knowledge that a dollar spent on a conservative voter goes further than a dollar spent on, on somebody on our side. And we just, it's going to take more money and more creativity, but what that'll build at the end is this coalition that feeds that new cycle and gets us more resources and gets us more, more donors and more donations from these individuals and more capacity at the volunteer side. If we just put in the work.
0: So Charles, is this runoff in Georgia, is this kind of a moment you've been waiting for? There, I mean, the, the stakes are high, the demographic, terribly interesting, the new voter infrastructure mapped out by and uh, created by Stacey Abrams. Is this particular runoff election, like this is the big time you're ready to go, this is the moment you waited for?
1: Um, You know, I feel like it's a distraction. <laughs> It feels like we were told that if we if we made it past the election then yeah. we would be able to think about the future. The marathon, but here's right. the
0: sprint, right?
1: Yeah, it's like running a marathon and then you get to the finish line and they've extended it and you're like holy cow. I'm willing to do it. You know, I still want to w- win this race and this is not what the volunteers expected. It's not what our staff expected. And so it's, a, it's not easy. This is not easy. And everyone's ready to get to a, a space where it's not just about one election. One of the things that's really important about this whole idea of being able to continue on year after year after year is that you actually you, you take care of the people and to do that you've got to take breaks and there's a lot of folks that are kind of near burnt out from this this previous election so yeah this moment is exciting yes it is a proof of concept for someone like Stacey Abrams and for our our model our ability to to back her up and so I, I think it's really cool to see all of us rising to the occasion and to see the excitement in Georgia, to see the excitement nationally from organizations that are that are ready to go for this fight. And we've got to get to a place where we are not fighting fires. It has to be this planned out collaborative space. And I understand that this sounds <laughs> this sounds like too good to be true but this is it's possible it is possible to think further out It is possible for us all to get together prior to these emergency elections and have a have a better way forward together
0: i guess there is that exhaustion factor while at the same time there's that opportunity for seeding that kind of constituencies owning a greater part of participatory politics so i just want to find out as we're drawing down in our time together charles during this pandemic, when students they're rethinking their academic calendars, might Common Power have a more available pool of talent with maybe gap years that are being taken by stellar young activists?
1: Yeah, that is we've really benefited from that, and it's a it's a it's a sad story for them personally. I, their careers they thought were on a certain trajectory, and they've kind of been waylaid, and they've found a home with us. Uh, this past summer, we launched. Called the Action Academy, which brought in 62 college-age students to participate in our onboarding process, really uh, going through our mindset mojo and mobilize and getting them first to learn about the history of voter suppression and voting in this country, building mojo and community with each other, understanding what it takes to continue this fight onward, and then joining our core volunteer group and making phone calls and uh, leading teams and sending text messages and postcards. They have graduated from not even knowing if they're gonna vote into actively leading our volunteers into doing this work. And it's one of our best success stories of this entire year. We're gonna continue that into 2021 and and the years after. Um, We did 62 this year. We're, We're looking to double that next year. Um, some of the folks have joined our staff full time and they are <laughs> taking gap years to do this work. Yes. And, and so it's, it's been, it's been a real opportunity for us to prove out our concept. There are enough people that are engaged with CP now that we have for election cycles to come enough folks to kind of lead the way and define actually what that new way of working is, which I'm really excited about.
0: And are those Action Academy? We'll call them grads, completers. Yeah. That are they uh, possibly your secret weapon? To recruiting the the two times your double or the, the doubling of the academy next year and others. Um, they they must yeah. be recruiting like crazy, just naturally, yeah. organically.
1: Yeah. So the you know the <laughs> the, the the way that you get young people or black and brown folks to join a civic process is that you, you gotta intentionally include them in the recruiting of each other. And for us, that in a big way is us hiring these people. Our staff is majority black and indigenous people of color. It's majority women of the 13 people that are employed with us, I am like third oldest. <laughs> okay. So we are we are we've employed the the future that we want to see. Now those folks go out and they find their peers. They teach us how to message to them. They found us the 62 that we had this year. That 62 is going to go out and multiply some more. Some of them have graduated up and to not just recruit for us, but they're actually going to lead our teams for this year coming up. So Virginia has odd year elections. So we're going to have some of those, those grads that, again, started off with, I'm not sure if voting is for me. And now they're going to, to lead our volunteers of all ages to do work in Georgia, either in person or remotely in the fall of 2021. There are special elections that are all over the calendar that are coming up. There are vacant congressional seats that we're going we're to gonna want to look at helping to compete there. There's a appeals court in Wisconsin. We're doing everything that we can to stay engaged in some of these swing states. We're going to be in Arizona again. We're going to be in North Carolina again. And we're bringing the next generation along with us. No, they are leading the way. Actually, that's the best way to say that.
0: Absolutely. Well, just the last question is, how is the best way for folks to follow and to sign up with Common Power, Charles?
1: commonpower.org is our website. That's got everything on it. You can also, if you want to catch David Domkey, he's doing a daily podcast now, and that'll, that'll kind of peter out a little bit after we get out of this Georgia election. But if you look up with CP, after you listen to this podcast, then listen to our podcast. I'm on there sometimes, but with CP, is a podcast that that features David. We also have a YouTube channel and we've got a lot of previous events there. If you want to get a view of our mojo of our community, Live and in Living Color, you just look up Common Power on YouTube. You can also follow us on Twitter. We are super active on Twitter at Our Common Power. Okay.
0: Well, I want to thank you, Charles, for giving us this time before you have to Heard more grassroots activists with all that is happening in this sprint toward the January 5th, 2021, Georgia, two Senate races. Thank you so much.
1: It's been a pleasure. Anytime. I'll come again, too.
0: <laughs> OK, I, well, I want you. I want you on speed dial. My guest was Charles Douglas III, vision, brand and community guy at Common Power, engaging activists to engage voters. Thanks again, Charles. Thanks, Claudia. Next week, Ava Park, founder, director, and curator of our local Museum of Woman, will unearth some rather old traditions, patriarchy, and bring us back to the older one, matriarchy. In the process, the idea of Mary yes, that Mary will be a beautiful feature. If you miss a show or a portion of one of these, go to KUCI forward slash podcast. It has all these fall shows archived. Talk with you next week, and I thank you for listening.